seen this place yesterday. None of this was here. It was all set up for a wedding and all decorated. It was a big wedding. And um, all the people that came sweeping in and put it all back together and the parking lot attendants and the people that open and close the gate and turn on the lights and teach the Sunday school classes and print the bulletin and play the organ and sing in the choir and arrange the worship and play the clarinet. Thank you for your way that you honored the Lord and everybody who I just overlooked. God did not overlook whatever you have done uh, for him. Well, this has been been an interesting week. We've had babies born and people die and we've had people married and we've had people graduate from college. It's just been quite a week. And over all of that, we have seen the hand of the Lord. Early this week, I wanted to make my family happy, so on the way home from uh, the study, I thought, I'll go to the dollar store that we frequent, and I'll buy them some boxes of ice cream. And so I went to the dollar store because I really am a wonderful dad, and, um, and I bought these boxes of ice cream, and the girl that waited on me was a pleasant girl, and I noticed that her little badge said, Rachel. Well, whenever that happens, if you've got a Bible name and you're dealing with a pastor, you're going to get into a conversation. That's just how it works, right? So her little badge said Rachel, and there wasn't anybody else really in the store, so I had a little time to talk to her, and she was a pleasant girl. And I said, Rachel. I said, you know your name's in the Bible, right? She goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I go, what? so have you read your story? No, not really. I go, are you serious? Do you have a Bible? Yeah, I got a Bible. I go, okay, go home and turn to Genesis 29. Uh, truth is, I told her Genesis 25, but then I checked and I was wrong. Uh, I must confess. I said, turn to Genesis 25, but I meant 29, and read about your story. Of course, if she started in 25, and, you know, it's good stuff. She would read, eventually she would find herself in there. Anyway, I said, read because that's a great story. And so I got my ice cream and I hurried home. And while I was driving home, I thought to myself, how sad is that, that you have this girl who has this wonderful name that's in the Bible, and she only has like a vague notion of what her story is really like. But she's not alone. I think there are probably ladies here just like that today. Men and women both. And we really don't have any idea how wonderful our story is because we really haven't paid enough attention to the story that the author of life would write about our lives if we just give him the pen and we let him write the story. Because he really writes wonderful stories. When Jesus wanted to communicate that to people, how beautiful our lives could be, how much more full of adventure and romance and significance our lives would be, Jesus himself, when he was on earth on a pleasant hillside overlooking the beautiful Sea of Galilee, gathered his disciples together and he said to them, in essence, he said, there's something so much bigger, so much more wonderful, so much more significant, so much happier than what you think. You think your life is filled with all kinds of things like, I gotta find food to eat, and I gotta find clothes to wear, and my main thing in life is, you know, like laundry and insurance, and he didn't teach them that, you know, but, but the main thing in life is getting food to eat and getting clothes to wear. He wanted to communicate to them that his plan for them was so much more wonderful and so much more significant and so much bigger than that. He said it in a really neat way. And this is recorded in our Bibles in a place called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Today I want you to take a look 
moms, take a look. Ladies, take a look. And men, you can listen in too as we look in Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read a bit of a lengthy passage because this is just some of the most beautiful and poetic. Uh, it's, these are the words of the Lord Jesus that he spoke overlooking uh, Galilee. And I just want you to hear them again. So let's just put our hearts on this and listen to this from what Jesus said from Matthew chapter uh, 6 and verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Allow me to give you a little brief commentary on verses 22 and 23. They're tucked in between a passage where Jesus is talking about things and worrying about money and so forth. We take this to mean to understand that the eye, he's giving a reference to a person who's greedy. A person who just lives for money or things and worries about money and things. They're greedy. That person has an evil eye. And their whole body is going to be full of darkness as a result of that. But a person that has a bigger reason to live, and they're generous for a bigger reason, that person's whole being is going to be filled with light. I believe that's what he's teaching there. He goes back into, again, talking about uh, specifically about money in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So in verses 19 through 24, Jesus talks about one of the main things that distracts people from just seeking Him and seeking His kingdom and having a very significant life and a certain future, and that is greed or temporal values or really loving money and things. So if you live for stuff, even if it's just simple stuff, you you might say it like this, you know, hey, I don't need a lot of fancy stuff. I just want clothes and I want food and a decent house to live in. And that's what I spend my life thinking about. I know this is a shock, going to come as a shock to you. But if you basically spend your life thinking about what you're wearing and what you're eating and where you're living, you're greedy. It's hard to take, isn't it? I mean, according to the Bible. According to the Bible, you have like temporal values. That's basically, and, and it's kind of like, you have a name badge, but you don't get the story. You don't really get the story. You see what I'm saying? It's like you have a name badge that says, um, I was made by God. But you're like, you have no idea what he made you for. You're just only getting a little beginning. So, in other words, one of the main things that distracts people from, from the significance that God would have for them is just living for the little stuff around them, like money and stuff and vacations and stuff like that. Now, the other thing that would distract them, Jesus talks about, is a huge distraction, is worry. It's just like being like overly conscious, worrying about things. And that's what he's going to talk about next. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It is a fascinating thing to notice things about Jesus. The most fascinating being in the entire universe, right? One of the things that's interesting to notice about Jesus is the questions that He asked. He asked these instructive, piercing questions. And He asked a bunch of questions in the text that we're studying today. One of the things that's fascinating is noticing the prayers that Jesus prayed. Fascinating. I love the stories that Jesus told. But here in this passage, you have two major things. You have questions that Jesus asked, and you really have commands that Jesus gave. Now, when we think about commands, we normally think, oh boy, here we go. You know, this is going to be ugly. He's going to give me some commands. But we're going to be a little surprised, I think, when we see the beauty of the commands that Jesus gives. How light they lay upon our souls. How light his yoke is. And so we're going to see that. Now, notice this real quickly here. Um, I just noticed five questions. And they're just like kind of salt and peppered through the text. One question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Rachel. Isn't there more to your name than you know? This isn't really, like seriously, this isn't really about you get up, you go to work, you earn some stuff, you go home, you get a few minutes in the recliner, you go to bed, you get up, you go to work, you keep the insurance paid. Seriously, that's not all there is to it, is there? There's got to be something. Jesus asked that question. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? That's a great question. He had a way of asking those kinds of questions. Here's another one. Are you not of more value than the birds of the air which the Father feeds? It's a good question. Aren't you, aren't you more valuable than birds? And he feeds them? That's a great question. Here's another question in verse 27. Which of you can add, there's some textual question here, you know, an inch to his height or an hour to his life. Can, can, you, get, can you get taller by worrying? Can you add any length to your life by worrying? How many of you can get taller if you worry about it? How many of you can, get, can live longer if you worry about it? That's a great question. Rhetorical questions, we call these. Jesus was the master of the instructive rhetorical question. He asked a fourth question. Why are you worried about your clothes? I know none of you worry about your clothes. Why are you worried about your clothes? Rich is back there. He helps me, folks. You guys could learn from him. Um, and then number five, if God clothes the temporary grass, isn't he going to clothe you? Questions that Jesus asked. Don't you love it? Now, he, he gave some commands. We're looking today at, this is a three-point sermon. I got to hit noon today. It is Mother's Day. So, okay, listen good. Number one, I may or may not do that, but that's the theory, okay? Number one, questions Jesus asked. Number two, the commands he gave. And number three, the promise he made. Here are the commands he gave in this. And, and I, the way I've broken it down there are five. One, he says, don't worry about your life, your food, your drink, your body, your clothing. Don't worry about that. You're, you're like going, are you serious? <laughs> Does anybody think that when you read your Bible? I know we all love the Lord, we love the Bible, but did you read that and go, 
Are you serious? <laughs> Is, am I alone here? Don't worry about your clothes and, and don't worry about stuff. Don't worry about the rent. Oh, don't worry about it. What? What do you mean don't worry about it? Now, that's, seriously, that's a, if I'm sitting there and he's like, don't worry. And, and you know what you're tempted to do when you read a Bible verse like that? I'm not a first century Jewish peasant who just kind of lived in like kind of simple lifestyle day to day. Like I'm sure it was really easy for them. Does Jesus understand I got insurance to pay? Does he understand I got mouths to feed? Does he understand that I have I have uh, taxes? Does he understand that the bills are coming due? Does he understand if you have four sons and four daughters, how much clothes that really is? You know, it, well he does understand that, but it's tempting to wonder. He he gives his command: Don't worry about your life, food, drink, body, or clothing. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But that's what he says. That's the command that he gives. Don't worry. He has another command. I just love, this is one of my favorite commands. This is a pretty cool command. So he says, so I want you to look at the birds. Have you been obeying that command? Hey, it's in there. Jesus said it. It's serious business. Jesus tells you to do something. He says, they don't work, they don't worry, and your father feeds them. Lois and I, did I tell you guys we went to the Holy Land? Yeah, I mentioned that. Lois and I got to go to the Holy Land. And one of the things that I was shocked to discover is that, of course, you've got that fertile crescent, and you have that along the, the, the Mediterranean, the beautiful Mediterranean, you have this land of, of Israel, and the ancient land of Palestine there. And it is a land of birds, because the birds' migrating pattern goes right over that land. And so you can't miss the birds in Israel. The birds just come down, and in the morning, the, it's just amazing. I actually got a picture of a bird here from the Holy Land. This little bird, we, uh, I, I, I brought a photographer with me, um, and uh, I was walking and I saw this bird, and I got my personal photographer, and I said, take a picture of this bird. If you come back when I show my Holy Land pictures, you will see this bird in amazing flight. But I'm just showing you the bird, because Jesus said, I want you to consider the birds, and I want you to realize that they get fed by the Father, and you are more valuable than they are. Isn't that wonderful? So I want you to think about birds when you worry. I want you to think about birds when you worry. I I like to take this in literalism. Jesus wants us to stop when we worry and spend some time thinking about the birds that the Lord feeds, and you're more valuable than they are. Now, there's another command that's interesting. This one is consider the flowers. Consider the lilies of the field. Can you guess I have more photographs? Let's do this for a few minutes today. It's Mother's Day. It seems appropriate. These pictures are all taken in the Holy Land, in in the land of Israel. In many of them in Galilee, the, the land where Jesus walked. When Jesus taught, I believe there were flowers that he was pointing at. And you get to see some of them here. These are all flowers from the Holy Land, from the land of Israel. Consider the lilies of the field, Jesus said. They don't worry about their making clothes. They don't worry about buying clothes. And look how beautiful they are. Solomon, in all of his glory, never looked as beautiful as the simplest wildflower that grows in the land of Palestine. These are just some pictures of those flowers. (laughs) 
As a matter of fact, then this, this right here, uh, depending on the time of the year when Jesus was speaking, because there's just a little window when flowers would be like this, they say. And, and by God's mercy, we showed up in Israel in a time at the end of the rainy season when it had been as beautiful as it had been, uh, the, the guide said, like in 14 years. So it was especially beautiful. What do you think, folks? Consider the, the lilies. We'll leave that one there. There was a command. He said, it'll be good for your soul if you realize that the God who feeds the birds cares about you. And the God who clothes the lilies and the flowers, see, he cares about you. This is one of his commands. Consider the lilies. So we have, don't worry about your life, food, drink, body. We have, think about the birds. We have, think about the flowers. And, and that God feeds them and clothes them. Four, we have don't be worried as if you were a person without God. He says, the Gentiles, he's speaking to Jewish people, and they would have assumed, you know, like all Gentiles were lost at that point. Now we know this is not true, because the very reason that God chose the Jewish people was to go to the rest of us, who most of us are Gentiles. But he's saying to them, You've, you guys are yourselves very religious people. These are Gentiles are the people, that, they, that people pagans without God. People without God, they worry. People without God, they worry about stuff like that. But you're not people without God. That's what he's saying. So don't worry because when you worry, you're acting like atheists or, or like pagans. That, like God's not in control when you worry. This is good stuff, isn't it? He said, don't be worried as if you are without God. Your Father knows what you need. Verse 31, 32. Your Father knows what you need. Two or three times, he says, don't worry, have faith. Your Father knows and your Father cares. And then fifth uh, command, i got six of them here, seek the kingdom first. This is where we're starting now to get to the really heart of things. This is the big major thrust of this teaching is Jesus driving to this. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These are the two commands. Seek the kingdom. There's a guy, Kevin DeYoung, and Kevin wrote a really interesting little book called Just Do Something. You ever heard somebody talk about God's will like, it, like there's this like really complex thing that you've got to kind of figure out. You're supposed to just sit still and not really do anything until you get this really complex thing figured out. And then when God kind of like does skywriting or something, then you go and you do whatever it is God wrote in the sky. And you maybe hear people give testimonies, and testimonies are so fantastic. They're like, God, then, and maybe they even say that, then God told me this. And you're kind of like, oh, wow, he didn't talk to me lately. I, you know, I must not be spiritual like that person because that person's always going, God, said this and God told me that if you you ask him directly yeah just stop somebody when they say God told me and go now how what does his voice sound like I'm curious you know does he just like go hello Ken I want you to take your wife out for dinner today yes sir it's like he doesn't normally speak like that he's never spoken like that to me I need to tell you maybe you want to leave now but he doesn't talk to me like that of course we know we have the word of God the written word He's speaking when the Word speaks. So if he said something in the Bible to do, then he has spoken, you've got the will of God in the book right there. You just do what he said. You see what I'm saying? Kevin DeYoung said that this guy was sitting around waiting on the will of God. His wife said that he got old and died. He never did anything. But he always prayed really hard that God would show him his will. But see, God had already shown him his will because he had the Word of God. In other words... When Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, he says, now you're, you've got a little vision of your life. You know, you've got a little tiny way of looking at your life. You're like, I need food, and I need clothes, 
Some of us want have a little bit bigger vision than that. We need a house, you know, and maybe a vacation. But basically, it's still kind of a shriveled little vision compared to God's big vision. And we're like worried about that. We need stuff. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think lots bigger than that. I want you to think kingdom. This is kingdom. This means the rule of God over all of time. This is what he wants even the commonest person to think about all the time. I want you to seek and pursue God's rule throughout all the earth and throughout all time. And I want you to get out of your recliner and I want you to do something to move the kingdom forward. That's what he's saying. Seek first the kingdom of God. So I'm saying, but I can't do that. I'm worried about my clothes or my food. Get up and do something for God, he says. People that do something for God, seeking His kingdom, you know, having some, you know, chutzpah, where they get up and they say, I'm going to take hold of one of these commands of the Scripture, and I'm going to do something about it. Those kind of people, the Bible says those kind of people are going to have their basic needs met. Seek first the kingdom. There's something more. His righteousness, we'll get to that. But seek the kingdom. Do something. I'll, I'll give an illustration from a mom later here in just a minute. But then he also says this. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. This takes a little theological understanding. So stay with me. It's not that hard. It's real simple. We want to talk about two different things that are theological ideas. Stay with me on this. It's not that hard. Think about justification and sanctification. Both of them give us a kind of righteousness, okay? Stay with me on this. Justification gives us the righteousness of God like a gift, and it's instant. It's immediate. This is very important to understand. The Bible is very clear about this. How would you like to be know that you are totally right with God, that all the shame of your past, all the sin of your past, all of your, you know, your, your sorry religion that you tried to give to God, and all of that, that He has forgiven you of that, and that in the place of that, and all the shameful things you don't ever want anybody to know about, He's put in the place of that the absolute perfection and righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, who never sinned. How many of you think that would be good? Yeah, that would be really good. Now, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, God's perfect Son died on the cross, then He made it possible for us to have His righteousness put on sinners. And our unrighteousness, all of our sin, shame, guilt taken away from us. This is called justification. Just as if we'd never sinned. Justified. And justification does not happen over time. Justification happens instantly when you believe by grace through faith. That's what this book says. You can be justified immediately. You can walk into this church not justified, and you can walk out justified. Not because you're good or you did religion or anything, but because you realize you're a sinner, and you, need, you had sin, and you had no righteousness. And Jesus takes his sin upon you and gives you his righteousness. That's instantaneous, like an accounting thing. We call that imputed or put on your account. It's pretty, it's pretty but it's instantaneous. So that's one of the things, when the Bible talks about righteousness, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about having Jesus' perfect righteousness given to you, like a gift. Like eternal life is a gift. Now, there's another thing it talks about. Sometimes when the Bible's talking about righteousness, it's talking about you're actually behaving in a righteous way. Now this is why, now sometimes people who are righteous before God still got a lot of work to do on their regular old, you know, regular experiential righteousness. Am I right about that? Am I right? Of course I'm right. Come on, people. I mean, you are like exhibit A of that in B and C and D, right? You're that way. Are you, you say, how many of you say, I know I'm right with God? You say, okay, good. How many of you say, I'm totally righteous and I act right all the time. I'll say the right words and do all the right things. You're just going to look at me on this, right? I, yeah, I appreciate a little bit of feedback. Yeah. No, we're not, not going to say that. 
Because you know this. Justification by grace through faith alone is instantaneous. You get, that's why people talk about being born again or saved. It's in the book right here. That's what the Bible says. You get born again or saved instantly when you realize that your sin is taking you to hell and your shame is taking you to hell. Then you believe that Jesus died for your sin and He gives you His righteousness and He takes your sin upon Himself. Then you're born again. You become a Christian at that point. It's instantaneous. That's what the Bible teaches very clearly. That's not a Baptist thing. That's just what the Bible teaches. Okay? Now, what he wants us then to do is he wants us to grow like him actually in our lives, in our own experience. And that's called, not justification, but sanctification. And that takes time. And that's why a lot of times you might meet somebody who says they're a Christian, and they probably are, or maybe. And yet you're like, I don't get this. Because I see things in their life that, isn't, that aren't quite right. I was like, you know, here's what you want to do. If, you, if you're thinking about not becoming a Christian because there's people that are Christians that say they're Christians and they're not quite right yet, my suggestion is become a Christian and you will totally understand. Because now you'll be born again and you'll have confidence that you're born again and you'll know that you have a place in heaven and you will so want to live right and you will so want to have His righteousness in your life that that's going to be a lifelong growing thing. And we call that sanctification and it's progressive. Now this is what God wants us to seek. His kingdom and righteousness. So in other words, you want to be righteous before God by getting saved, okay? And then you want to do something for the kingdom. And the Bible's full of things you can do depending on your own gifting, your own circumstances. Get going and do something for the kingdom. Figure it out on your own. Just do something. And then pursue righteousness. So you're pursuing the kingdom and you're pursuing righteousness and the promise that Jesus made. So we have questions that he gave and commands that he gave. Now here's the promise. It's in verse 33 and it's amazing. Seek first the kingdom of God and this righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do you see what he's saying? How do you overcome worry? You seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God and then he takes care of your basic needs. Now, I need to tell you something. I've heard of people, that's Christians, who starve to death. Alan Gardner starved to death. He wrote it in the church. He's a missionary. He's, 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 and he starved to death. But you, you understand what was happening was God in His providence said, time for Alan to come home. And He used His journal to do what He could not do with His life. He used His death to do what He could. Christians understand that. If you're not a Christian, you don't get that. But the idea is this. You say to God, okay, in life I glorify You or in death I glorify You. I'm not going to worry if I die. It must mean You want to take me home. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to seek the kingdom and His righteousness. Now, understand, if you're seeking His righteousness, is that going to involve going to work on time? Is it going to involve working? If you can work yeah, if you're not righteous, if you won't work, right? That's not, you seek His kingdom and His righteousness, are you going to rip people off? Like if you're selling real estate, you're going to rip people off? No, you're seeking His righteousness. So if you're an honest real estate broker, you're going to be more likely to have this. God's going to bless that. And I could go into other details. If you're seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, you're going to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow because it's the part of righteousness. If you're seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, you're going to be a part of a local fellowship of, of people in a church, and you're going to be sharing with other people and helping them. And then that, what happens is naturally when you're hurting, they know you and they love you, and they're going to be there to grieve with you. They're going to be there to help you. And they're going to be there to support you. And even maybe, I know folks in this church that have been employed and unemployed. That would include a lot of us, amen. Uh, unemployed and unemployed. I mean, the same person at one time he's employed, another time he's unemployed. And I've seen the person when he's employed share significantly with people who are unemployed. And then that same person, people share significantly with them when they're unemployed. 
that's like, that's the way the body of Christ works. We, we love one another. That's a part of the whole matter. That's how God works out some of these things when he says, if you seek my kingdom first and my righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. But what happens is this. You know, worry, planning and worry are different things. You, you understand? When I say I'm going to keep my promises by planning and I'm going to keep my appointments tomorrow and I'm going to do what needs to be done, that's not worry. Worry is like when I'm spinning my wheels thinking God is not going to keep his promises and I'm not doing anything because I'm just spinning my mental wheels worrying and then, and then that usually ends up adding to things like being angry or withdrawing or other sinful things. In other words, planning ahead isn't worry. You get that, right? Acting, you understand that, right? You've you got to say yes to stuff like that or the message gets longer. You've got to know how this works. Just nod, you know. Okay, I get it, yeah. Please, don't talk anymore. Just stop. Here's a way of looking at it. Think about this righteousness thing as an inheritance, all right? This is not a perfect illustration, but I want to leave this on your heart. It's kind of a fun illustration. Imagine that you found out that you're like, like have an inheritance. You're young, and so it's in a trust. So you have this entire estate. It's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars in yachts and places in the Caribbean and an island in, 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 the, in the Mediterranean and all of that. Are we having fun yet? Yeah. Okay, you guys, this is all yours. Season tickets to U of M. And, uh, and so you got all of that. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew I'd get a witness on that. And so you got all of that. Now, you're young, so they say, but it's in the trust. So you really can't have it all right now. But you get just a little bit at a time. So you say, oh, okay, it's really in your name. It's in a bank. It's, on, it's in your name. Nobody else can have it. It's yours. And, I'm gonna, and, 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 you know, people that have thought this through said, you only need so much a year, you know. So you get this much a year. And then there's going to be a certain time when it all comes to you. It's always in your name, and you're going to get it all. You get a little bit of time, and you're going to get it all eventually. It's not a perfect illustration, but it's useful. God wants you to understand that you are not just some poor, dumb guy, gal, just kind of stumbling from one responsibility to another, kind of trying to pay the rent and keep gas in a car tank. You can be a part of the eternal kingdom of the living God. Your sins forgiven. You have a home in heaven. You have the righteousness of Christ already in heaven. And He's given you a little bit of it at a time right now just to keep your appetite for righteousness. And one day, you're going to burst into the very glories of heaven because of Jesus Christ. That's kind of cool. I would want to be a part of that if I wasn't already. I would want to have more than just a name badge on my shirt. I would want to have the whole thing going on. I want that adventure to be my adventure. I want that romance to be my ro- that romance to be my romance. I want my life to have that kind of significance, and you can too, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He says all these things will be added to you. That's pretty neat, isn't it? And I was worried when they gave me this inn to run. They gave me this hotel to run. And I was worried. First time in my life I ever remember being worried like that. I was seriously worried. I would go to bed at night thinking, how in the world? 400 rooms and, and, and you know, you got chillers and boilers and generators and stuff I don't even know the name of. I don't even know where it is in the building. Somebody would say, I went to this, like, general manager's meeting and I was sitting around with all the other general managers and they're like, congratulations on running the character. And I'm like, thank you. And they go, do you serve liquid coffee? As I looked over there and I thought... All the coffee I've ever seen in my life was liquid. So I don't know how to answer that question. But if you run a hotel, you know that there is liquid coffee. And there's another there, there's a, there's a canister that you buy and you put it in a machine and you sell it that way. And, then, and so they, You would know that if you were really a hotel runner guy. But I was. I was just like, I don't know. You know. I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. 
so I was very worried. Sometimes I just was up in the night. I'd be thinking about that. My boss would come to town every once in a while. And, you know, when the boss came to town, he only came to town like a few times a year, and you wanted it to be nice. So I'm like, I'm grinding, you know, everybody, hey, pick up everything, vacuum everything, clean everything. I want our best people at the front desk. You know, when is he going to be here? I'm like, I call his assistant on the phone and say, you tell me, don't you dare let him come here without me knowing when he's going to come here. You know, I want to be ready. So everything would be ready when the boss came. So he would come in, you know, and he had this annoying habit. If there was any trash on the floor, he would pick it up. So, you know, you want to make sure there was not a... I would tell the staff, i get them together and say, I don't want to be hard on you or anything, but when he gets here, I don't want him to ever pick up anything. So let's make sure it's all picked up before he gets here, you know. So he would come in the door and he'd kind of smile. Nice guy, he wasn't mean or anything, but like he'd kind of sweep in there, go back in the office and talk for a while. He'd get ready to leave, you know. I remember one time he got ready to leave and he walks in. So I'm walking him out the door, kind of like, I love it when you come, and I love it when you leave, too. And, you know, and so we're, and everybody's like, oh, he's gone. All right. Anyway, but, so we were, we're walking him to the door. It's like, I love being with you, and don't mind when you go, you know. And so we walk over here to the door, and he looks at me, and he says, Ken, I want you to just understand, it's just one thing going on here, just one thing. He says, you just make people feel at home here. You just make people feel at home. That's what I want you to do, okay? I go, I can do that. And then I watch him drive away. And I start thinking to myself, for people to feel at home, they have to have towels in their room. They have to have, if it's hot out, the chiller has to work. If it's cold out, the boiler has to work. If they're hungry, the restaurant has to work. In other words, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this simple command to just make people feel at home. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into life. Let's admit that. But Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that if he said, if you seek my kingdom first and my righteousness, that everything else is going to fall into place. And I have a, I have a feeling that for some of you, you have only got just a little hint of what the whole story really is about your own life. I went back to uh, the dollar store and Rachel was there. And so I said, hey, I said, Rachel, did you read your story yet? Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I'm like, well, it's in Genesis 29, so I kind of told you the wrong chapter last time. But you do, you do want to read it because it really is an amazing story. And then I thought to myself, here's this nice girl with this beautiful name, with this amazing story, and she's never even, never even read it. But that's just like us. God has a story for us to read, but we're like kind of worried about other stuff. And maybe it would be really good. I think a lot of times it's mom who has a lot of this on her shoulders. Am I right? Right? A mom is like the emotional heart of the family. Mom is often the spiritual spark plug of the family. That's true. That's true. Mom is the one often that keeps dad out of trouble. That's true. That's true. I mean, you're laughing, but you know that that's true. That's true about your pastor. Pastor Pine, but uh, <laughs> it's, true about, it's true about me. I don't know if that's true about Pastor Pine. It's definitely true about me. And yesterday we had a wedding, and I, I was praying, and one of the things I said was, you know, help Candace to give Joe really good counsel. Because us men, we need that. And you know what? When you come down to it, a lot of times the clothing on our back, Mom's the one who got that figured out. And a lot of times the food on the table... Oh, I know, Dad. I know you work, man. Don't misunderstand me. A lot of times, 
You know, mom has a lot to do with that. When I was growing up, we didn't have much. We had a real nice growing up, a real nice raising, but, but was really modest. When I was in junior high, I like to say if, if my life was a movie, I would fast forward through junior high because it was not pretty. And often when I was in junior high, it was time for lunch. Nobody would eat with me. And I would go, and, and if I sit down, people would leave. So I normally just went and sat alone. Spring of the year came one year, and I was just thinking about my home and my mom. And about lunchtime, you had a little lunch period there, just a, just a little time. And I thought, you know, if I really ran, I could get home for lunch. Before I left for school that day, I said, Mom, could I come home for lunch? She says, do you have time? I go, yeah, if I run, I could have a few minutes. She said, well, sure, I'll see to it you have something to eat. So as soon as the bell rang, I ran for home, fast as I could run. I arrived breathless. The end of the table was a cloth napkin and silverware and one of those little cheap four for dollar chicken pot pies. It was all heated up. It was really nice. My mom had already eaten, so she sat down at the other end of the table and she listened to everything I had to say. And then she said, well, you probably need to hurry back to school, don't you? And for a little window of time, that spring, I ran home for lunch every day because I knew there would be a little food on the table somebody that would listen to me. And that's a powerful thing. And the God who put that together, the God of the Bible, he can handle every one of your meals and every one of your emotional needs and every one of your spiritual needs for life and for eternity. We're going to sing in a moment, but I've asked uh, Bill Cavills to come and join me here in a moment, here for a minute. And he has just a word to say. He's going to offer prayer, and then we're going to sing a song before we go celebrate Mother's Day. Bill?